You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. For a place to worship. Um, you know, sometimes people kind of look down on people that only go to church during Christmas and Easter, but I say it's an opportunity, man. It's an opportunity for us to reach some people who uh, may have been hurt, may have been hurt in church, um, maybe having questions, maybe uh, hungry, and uh, just uh, a warm invitation can make all the difference in the world. So I just encourage you to reach out to people and invite them to come, come to our Easter egg hunt. I know that doesn't seem like a big deal, but uh, we've had people join the church as a result of their kids coming and going to the Easter egg hunt and finding us to be a warm and loving uh, people. Uh, So let's uh, just take advantage of that, okay? So today I'm going to talk about the cross. Uh, We kind of ended our um, vision, mission statement uh, recap that we've been doing for five weeks uh, last week, and my last point of the um, of the sermon, actually week before last, David preached last week, and my last point of the sermon was, uh, Paul said, I sought to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him cru- crucified, which is a big statement for Paul, because Paul had a lot of things to say about a lot of things, and he uh, was not known for being, um, you know, of not having something to say, but when he when he went to the Corinthian church, and especially a church that was so uh, in upheaval and in some, some ways so off um, and in some ways so sort of divided, um, what he chose to speak about was Jesus Christ and him crucified. There had been a lot of people that had been, you know, coming through, a lot of preachers. Um, even during that time, there were a lot of people that were sort of in contention with Paul, and um, Paul just decided, you know what, I'm not going to be in competition with anybody. I'm just going to give the pure word of God. And what he was giving the Corinthians was not uh, something that was easy, something that tickled their ears, but it was something that they desperately needed, and that was the cross. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. I'm going to start with a couple of scriptures. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 1 Uh, verses 23 and 24 said, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, none of the rulers of this age understood that, that this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 10 says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man, uh, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. I I want to start off with just a a little um, uh, object lesson for you. So um, if you would, if you don't mind doing this, um, if you think that you're a good driver, would you stand? Here we go. (laughs) Come on. Now, Now, let me just ask you, 
As you're driving around Tyler, do you think this percentage represents the good drivers in Tyler? This, this represents the, the drivers that think they're good, maybe. <laughs> but as I'm driving around in Tyler, I don't think there's this big a percentage of people that I would call. Wait, you've got to stand up because I'm going to go on with this, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Unless I'm talking you out of it, don't, you know. So if you have ever gotten a ticket, sit down. Okay, if you have ever um, exceeded the speed limit, sit down. Oh, okay, well, that was easy. I had a whole lot more that I was going to use. The fact is, is that we don't really see ourselves maybe the way that the police see us. And in our own personal life, a lot of times we think, in Judges it says over and over again, um, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Here's another way to say that. Everybody was right in his own eyes. And so there is a standard, and that standard is not our own standard. We don't get to judge ourselves. There is a law, there is a right, and there is a wrong, and that's what we're going to be measured by. Fortunately, we're going to be measured by and judged by one who is our brother, who is our Savior, uh, who is our Lord, uh, and he has a way through it, but it's not just to wink at sin. And it's not just to overlook um, sin. It's to give justice where justice is needed. Um, the cross, uh, Paul says here, is the wisdom. It's the genius of God. And in, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, how many times have you read this? But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. I believe there's probably a broad understanding of that, but specifically what Paul is talking about here is the cross. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. And he's talking about the cross. It's like we can't even imagine this. He also says, as I read earlier, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Listen, I don't know how long you've known the Lord. I don't know if you've ever actually made a commitment to the Lord. But if you have not plumbed the depths, begun to plumb the depths of the cross, then you've got some growing to do. Because this is where the deep things of God are found. Not just in His Word and not just in His blessing, but in his sacrifice and what he has done on your behalf. I want to talk to you today about um, what the crucifixion uh, really reveals about God. Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 9 and 10 says, um, The wisdom of God and the suffering and death of his only son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that's, that's what he's talking about, that mystery. That eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and it hasn't entered into the heart of man. And we want it to penetrate our lives. We want to spend this morning just kind of contemplating that. A lot of times during this season, people don't even pay very much attention to Good Friday. Looking forward to Sunday. I am too. But we don't really appreciate Sunday, the resurrection day. 
unless we really appreciate Good Friday. So what is it, um, what does the crucifixion uh, clearly reveal? First of all, it's suffering. Jesus' crucifixion has been a comfort to people throughout the ages. Suffering people. Now we wear, you know, the symbol of Christianity is a cross, but most of the time we're going to stop to think of the fact that that is an instrument of execution. It's like wearing a, a hangman's noose or wearing a, uh, a guillotine or, or something like that. That's, that's what the cross really symbolizes. And it's ironic that we don't think about that because that is the true essence of the gospel and it's the true essence of what it means to be a Christian, that we are marked with that cross. That cross defines so much for us and it reveals so much for us. So many people through the years have identified with Jesus Christ because of his suffering. Now listen, I understand that that is not an easy word. And if you're sharing the love of God with your neighbor, talking about the crucifixion may not be the place to start. Okay? Because it's hard, man. It's hard to swallow. It's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. Nevertheless, it is the, the essence and the heart of what it means to be a Christian. John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus says, And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Do you know what the highest grossing independent film of all time is? The Passion of the Christ. Can you believe that? Like when they, were, they made the movie, Mel, Mel Gibson made the movie, and the reason why he made the movie is because he was going through a horrendous time in his life. He was reaping a lot of the things that he had sown, and he was at the point of desperation. He was at the point of suicide. And at that point, he considered the cross, and he cried out to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he was suffering. And he thought of the Savior who was suffering. And he cried out to him, and Jesus met him where he was. And Mel Gibson decided he was going to make a movie. He's going to make a movie about the last 12 hours of Jesus' life. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Mel Brooks, I mean, Mel Brooks. <laughs> he did make, well, never mind. <laughs> when he made the movie, he went and shopped it. He was, he was like trying to sell it to all the uh, all the different Hollywood studios and stuff like that, and nobody would touch it. And you know why? Because they didn't think that it would sell. But Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto, my, unto me. And it wasn't a feel-good movie. It was a movie that was explicit. It was an R-rated movie that more churchgoers went to, more Christians went to. Probably many Christians went to it as their first R-rated movie. Hollywood didn't think that anybody would come to this movie because they didn't think Christians would go to an R-rated movie. And it wasn't R-rated for all the reasons that they usually rate movies are. What kind of violence do we see in, in PG-rated movies? You know? And yet the violence of that garnered it a, an, an R rating. I saw it and had communion in the theater when we saw it, when it opened. And if you were around in 2004 going to movies and stuff like that, you might remember you know, what, a, what a huge thing it was. Turns out a lot of people were drawn to it. Turns out a lot of people are not just going to the movies for entertainment. 
But they're going to find meaning. And they're going to find purpose. And they're going to find something valuable. Word is that he's about to, to have a, a sequel, make a sequel to it. Um, or, a, yeah, I guess it is a sequel um, to it. And already they're saying it'll never sell. They're saying the culture now is so different than the culture was back then. And anything that um, appears to be even slightly evangelical will never sell. We'll see. I hope he makes it. There's something about being in the presence of someone who has suffered, who understands without words. And if you've ever suffered, maybe you've suffered uh, an illness or lost somebody to, um, to, to cancer or um, had a failure or uh, lost a job or something like that, just being in the presence of someone who has experienced that and can offer you hope means more than the words that they share. Just being there with them. And that's what Jesus' suffering does for us. He says, I understand. And I'm, I'm going to go into this uh, much more. I've got six, well, five points. And believe me, <laughs> this past week has just been one of those weeks where I get stuff from the Lord and I get stuff from the Lord and I get stuff and I, look, I sit down and I've got just volumes of this. Not that I haven't ever considered the cross before, but that God is speaking this to his people today. It's a message that we desperately need to hear. I've never stood before you at a time when I knew more that this is what God's word is for us and for this hour. He showed us the way as well. Life through pain. Glory through suffering. The greatest times in your life, the most significant times in your life probably will come through some of the most difficult times in your life. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with peace and goodness and happiness and butterflies and bunnies. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I love that stuff. But I'm telling you that growth comes most of the time through pain. Some of it is stuff that we invite ourselves. Some of it is stuff that, that we seek. But a lot of the discipleship that happens in our lives, we are being hammered out through things that are painful, that are difficult, that are confusing. And if you're going through a time like that right now, let me tell you, that doesn't mean that God's mad at you. And it doesn't mean that you have failed in some way. It just means that God loves you and he's seeing you through something to cause you to grow cause you to love him more and to cause you to understand him more. Jesus, when he was, when he was talking to uh, uh, his disciples about not just what he was going to undergo, but uh, also what the world is going to undergo, he, he compared it to um, childbirth. And he said, you know, a woman, when she's suffering through childbirth, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, the, it's the hardest thing that you'll ever go through. But he says, as soon as that baby is born, she, she forgets about the pain. When she holds that baby in her arms, I think it takes a while to forget. But how does a woman ever go through something like that and then turn around and say, yeah, let's do that again? Why? Because of, the, because of what she has gone through and what, she, what has happened through it. The mystery and the, and, the, and the incredible miracle of a new human life. That's what Jesus showed us, that through pain, comes glory. 
Through suffering comes joy. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but Jesus Christ hung on the cross for three hours. Now, he was a, the sacrifice, he, was, he came to die for us, but he could have died immediately as soon as he got nailed to that cross. He could have died immediately. According to the Scriptures, he couldn't have died from the scourging, which could have killed him and didn't. He could have, it, it, all the other stuff that he went through could have killed him, but as soon as he got nailed on the cross, technically he had fulfilled what God had prophesied, and yet he hung there for three hours. And I think the reason for that is there's several different reasons for that. First of all, I think it was because there is a measure of suffering that God wanted to accomplish in Jesus Christ that day. I think that Jesus Christ, when he became a human, he gave up a lot of things. And one thing to be like humans is we don't have control over the day of our death if we're in God's hands. I know that there are extreme circumstances where people take it into their own hands, but I'll tell you what, God intends for us to let him be sovereign over that. Just like he's sovereign over our birth, he is sovereign over our death. And when Jesus Christ was on the cross, it wasn't his decision how long to be there. The physical suffering that he endured. I don't think there's any form of death that anybody could look at the cross and say, you don't understand suffering. I know that people have suffered and probably suffered worse than that before dying, but they can't look at Jesus Christ and say, you don't understand. The taunts and the curse. The Lamb of God who from the foundation of the earth was worthy of nothing but praise and nothing but um, adulation and nothing but worship was hearing nothing but taunts and cursing and people mocking him and making fun of him for those three hours. The shame. They stripped him. They stripped him to crucify him. It wasn't just the, the physical suffering, but it's the emotional suffering that, that happened as well. For Jesus Christ, who so valued people and so, so valued his, um, his apostles and, and disciples and so much wanted to be with him, the night before, um, the night just before he was betrayed, all he said to him was, watch with me. He didn't say, watch out for me, tell me when they're coming, you know, watch, watch me. He didn't say, he just said, watch with me. He just wanted a friend. He just wanted friends. And as he hung on that cross, he was totally abandoned. He suffered abandonment. He suffered to be, being alone. He suffered the agony of seeing his mother's sorrow right in front of him. And I'll tell you what, as he hung on that cross, he had no will to live. He had no will to live. He had already handed himself over into the Father's hands, and he was ready. He was ready to die. He was ready to go. My mom passed away from cancer 2002, I think, 2003, um, something like that. And uh, it was, a ver I mean, all forms of cancer are, are horrible. Uh, it's a complete breakdown of your body's ability to function, and there's always a lot of pain that goes along with it. Her particular form of cancer was one of the worst, and um, 
And as soon as she found out that she was going to die, she, she started having conversations with her family. She wasn't um, a fatalist. Um, she believed in God. She believed in, in the ability to heal. But she also believed that she wanted to be prepared and she wanted us to be prepared. And so she had conversations with us that, that, um, that were so beautiful and so valuable that I still remember them today, what, what she had to say. And she got down to the, close to the end, and uh, one day she was laying in her bed, and all of, all of my brothers and my sister, you know, we all gathered together, and we spent as much time with her as we could as she just, you know, steadily went downhill pretty quickly. And uh, one day she just got really quiet. Just, she, she didn't want to interact with anybody. She wasn't talking to anybody or anything like that. And she was laying in her bed, and... Um, you know, hospice tells you um, that one of the important steps is, especially in a big family, close-knit like ours, where our, my mom was such a, a force of nature in our family, that it's really important for you to have a conversation with your loved ones and say, you know, I'm ready for you to go. It's okay for you to go and give them permission to go. And so this day she got really quiet like that, and my sister was by her, by her bed, and she held her hand, and she said, Mom, it's okay for you to go. And my mom said, I've been trying to die all day. <laughs> She's a control freak. But she had no will to live. And not only that, but my mom knew where she was going. And so death was not the end for her. Death was just a step, and she was ready to take that step. And it's the same thing with Jesus Christ. Death was just a step, and he was ready to take that step. He filled up, he drank to the dregs the cup of suffering that was his to drink. The second thing that the crucifixion clearly reveals to us is the loving heart of, of God the Father toward us. It's, it's such an amazing thing, especially in that, look, like when I think about the last week of Jesus' life, you know, I think about like his whole life, he was the lion of Judah, man. I mean, he, you know, he sent them packing. Every time that they tried to trap him, he always had the right answer. He always came out on top. And this last week of his life, he's just like a lamb. He's, he, like, the bad guys win. They do whatever they want to with him. It just seems like such a contrast there. But I'll tell you what, man. That was, the, that was when he was revealed in all his glory, when he was like a lamb. And you see him silent before his accusers. And that's because he had had a conversation with his father. And there was nothing else to say. He could have knocked them all down with one word. He had to be real careful how he talked. The dynamics of the relationship between the father and the son demonstrated in, in Gethsemane, where I think the work was done, and I think the die was cast, and I think that was, that's where the decision was made. That submitting of his will to the Father's will. And listen, every one of us has a Gethsemane too. Every one of us has that same thing. We're going through something and we say, oh God, I don't want to do this. Or maybe you've gone through something and you're like, God, why did that have to happen? That's your Gethsemane. That's the place where God gets to be God and you get to be not God. And you get to submit yourself to, your, to the, your heavenly Father's will. 
And sometimes it's really bitter, and sometimes it's really hard, but that's the only place to be. That's the only place to be. Because you're powerless outside of that anyway. You can hate it, you can resist it, you can argue against it, you can do whatever you want to do, and you can't change it. But when God becomes your Father, and you submit yourself to His will, suddenly grace comes into your life. Suddenly a power comes into your life. Suddenly the ability goes, comes into your life. The crucifixion reveals the loving heart of the Father towards us. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should have eternal life. There's another place where it says God did not spare His own Son for us. And now that's love. That's love. You may be feeling lost and you may be feeling alone today. You may be feeling like nobody cares, but the only one that really matters has proven to you how much He cares. Because He hasn't withheld anything from you. He looked at you and He saw not just what your, your needs are today, your temporary needs or the, the needs that are pressing on you, probably the stuff that you're worried about. He looked at you and He saw what your real need was. And He saw that the only solution to that real need that you had, the fact that you were separated from Him, the only solution to that was going to require the ultimate sacrifice on His part. And He said yes. And why did He say yes? Because He loves you. Because he loves you. Luke 12, 50. Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how greatly is my distress until it is accomplished. Romans 5, 7 through 11 gives us a little bit more insight into this. And all I'm saying this morning is, Paul said, all I sought to, to know among you was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He didn't say all I sought to preach. He said all I sought to know. Like He was among them and He wanted to know Jesus. That's all He sought to know. That's, all, that's the only lesson He was looking for in all the things that He went through and all the places that God used Him is that He might know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's all we're doing this morning is to try to look deeply into that mystery that Paul said was the central central thing Romans 5 7 through 11 says for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person um, would uh, they would even die but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us and I might might add we didn't even know how bad we were sinners we didn't even know we thought maybe we had a couple of problems we didn't know that we were in desperate peril. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we will be reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received reconciliation. The third thing that the cross, the crucifixion reveals to us is that justice matters. The seriousness of my sin. So, I'm not going to get you to stand for this one. Okay. How many people think that they're a good person? How many, think, how many of you think you're a good person? Now, I know you're a little gun-shy because of the whole driving thing that I've already taken you through. But how many of you would say that you're a good person? See, if we think that we are basically a good person, and I'm, not ta I'm talking about 
from, the birth, from birth, okay? But I'm also talking about even after Jesus Christ has come into our lives, John says, if we say we have no sin, then we're liars. We're just playing games. And that kind of stuff, he's not talking about stuff outside the church, he's talking about in the church. <laughs> if I say I have no sin, I'm a liar. Okay? I mean, I may not have any outward manifestations of it. I may have it well hidden on the inside. I may have controlled it enough to where I'm socially acceptable, but God looks on the heart. And He doesn't just look on the actions. He looks on the intents of the heart. So all those little conversations that you're having with yourself, God's actually witnessing all that. All the, all the things that you're, you're wanting to do and that you're wishing you could do and sometimes you're stopping yourself from doing and all those thoughts that you have that you're running. And I'm not just talking about thoughts that pop into your head. I'm talking about what's going on, what you're thinking. He's witness to all of those things. We're in bad shape, guys. We're in bad shape. We need a Savior. Stick with me. Oswald Chambers challenges one of the readings that I read this past week of My Utmost for His Highest. He challenges us to take seriously our sin. To take our sin seriously. And if there's anything that the cross shows is that, that God takes just, justice seriously. He doesn't just wink at it. He doesn't just overlook it. But he says this is something that demands satisfaction. He's righteous in all his ways. He's holy. And I know some people dislike language like this, saying that it's either legalistic or, or works-oriented. But being a believer should be the most rigorous thing that we've ever attempted. Not to try to earn God's favor, but to try to, try to walk in the reality of what he has purchased for us. And it's not easy, but it's valuable. And it's the only way to spend your life. Here's what Oswald Chambers says. He says, pull yourself up. Take some time alone with God and make this important decision saying, Lord, identify me with your death until I know that sin is dead in me. Pull yourself up. Make the moral decision that sin in you must be put to death. Are you prepared to let the Spirit of God search you until you know what the level and nature of sin is in your life? To see the very things that we struggle against, that struggle against God's Spirit in you? If so, you will then agree with God's verdict on the nature of sin, that it should be identified with the, with the uh, death of Jesus. You cannot reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, that's Romans 6.11, unless you have radically dealt with the issue of your will before God. That's where sin starts. I want to have it my way. That's the Gethsemane where Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Unless you have radically dealt with the issue of your will before God, have you entered into the glorious privilege of being crucified with Christ? Co-crucifixion. Co-crucifixion is the only path for a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about crucifixion on a literal cross. I'm talking about submitting our will to God just like Jesus Christ submitted His will to God. Have you entered into the glorious privilege of being crucified with Christ until all that remains in your flesh and blood is His life? 
I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What I loved about that is because we talk about reckoning yourself dead. And as if it's just some kind of mental gymnastics. But actually what it is is identifying those things in our life that are displeasing to God, that are not a reflection of His character and His nature in us, and taking them seriously. And taking steps to make sure that we are walking in a manner worthy of our calling. Chambers says this is a shockingly immoral and unreligious idea. The crucifixion reveals God placing himself under his own sentence. The wrath of God has lodged in God's own self. Perfect justice is wrought in the self-offering of the Son, who alone of all human beings was perfectly righteous. It's ironic that I'm saying this shows God's justice because it was so unjust, but it was not unjust because Jesus willingly did it. It would have been unjust if a perfectly sinless person had lived on the earth and was forced to undergo this sacrifice for the sake of the guilty. But it was not that case at all. He willingly said, I have a, I have a baptism to undergo. And he says, how, how straightened I am, how, how, how hard it is for me to not do that until the time, I'm waiting for the time to do that. That's what I was born to do. He said, my hour has come. And that's when he became the lamb said, my hour has come. And what am I to say? Deliver me from this hour? said, no, this is the reason why I'm born. He says, glorify yourself in me. The fourth is the sufficiency of the sacrifice. Crucifixion reveals to us the sufficiency of his sacrifice. So let me ask you one more question. You don't have to stand for this. You can if you want to, though. How many of you are holy? You can stand if you want to. Come on, guys. Holiness is not something that we earn. Holiness is not something that we... That, okay, Rob's standing. <laughs> Holiness is something that we are because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that is what the cross reveals to us. That we are made holy. How many of you are holy? You can stand up. There we go. Some things are worth standing up for, huh? Or raise your hand. Okay, you can sit down. John, uh, the, John the Baptist, um, when, uh, when he first saw Jesus, you remember that, that, that scene when he first saw Jesus? And he said to his followers, he said, Behold what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, what he was saying there was Jewish sacrificial language. Every Jew that was there understood that he was comparing Jesus Christ to that lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of sin. So what John was saying at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry was that Jesus Christ came to die a sacrificial death. And that's so that we could be holy as He is holy. When He said, be holy as I am holy, He's not talking about a works-oriented thing. He's talking about a faith-oriented thing. That I place myself in Him. That He unzips Himself and I go in. I'm in Christ. And the same thing, 
I open my heart up to Him. And He comes in. The proof that His sacrifice was acceptable to the Father is His resurrection. Jesus Christ was a man just like you are and just like I am. He was a man and He died. He could not raise Himself from the dead. He was not divided. He was not like a split apart dual person. He was a man. He had a spirit. And when He died, He died. That could not raise itself from the dead. But the Father, seeing the sufficiency and the acceptance, acceptability of the sacrifice, the complete fulfillment of the sacrifice, raised Him from the dead and gave Him a name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know what that says to me? That says to me, when Jesus, at the end, when Jesus Christ stands before all mankind, when we all gather together before Him, we're going to see and we're going to know and we're going to kneel and it's not going to be anybody making us do that. The greatest atheist in the world, the greatest um, uh, uh, pagan in the world, uh, the greatest denier, the greatest mocker in the world, every comedian that uses Jesus Christ as, as the brunt of a joke, Every CEO who thinks he's above, that he's a law unto himself or a God unto himself will see him in his glory and everybody will say, you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's coming for everybody. That's coming for everybody. And nobody's going to be able to deny that. I don't care what they're thinking right now. You know what they're going to be thinking then? I should have known. What was I thinking? Of course he is. He's glorified. He's the Messiah. He's the risen one. He's the perfect one. The only one who's been perfect. Philippians 2, verses 8-11 through 11 says, Being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that is it. That's the end of the story of Jesus from Nazareth. Right there. That's the end of that story. But it's not over, is it? Because then God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And the crucifixion clearly shows us that there are things more valuable than physical life. Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus do this? Why did he... We've, we've already seen. He willingly submit to, submitted to this. He could have gone any other way that he wanted to. It had to be a willing sacrifice. It couldn't be a forced sacrifice. I'm not saying that he didn't wrestle with God like we wrestle with God. But the ultimate end of the thing was, not my will, but thine be done. He willingly went to the cross. Why? Why would anybody do that? For the joy that was set before him. see, that's what my mom was seeing. First of all, she was experiencing extremely excruciating pain, and there's no reason to do that. There's no reason to continue on with that. But not only that, she was seeing joy just beyond the veil. Those three hours that Jesus hung on the cross, those three hours that he was there, he did that for several different... What did he accomplish? What did he actually do while he was on the cross? What was the first thing that he did when they crucified him? 
He said, God, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they were doing. If he'd have died immediately when they put him on the cross, he would have never prayed that prayer. What else did he do while he was on the cross? He, he saved, well, the one. Yeah, maybe the other one, I don't know. But he saved that, that other guy on the cross. Maybe he, maybe he suffered for several hours next to this guy until this guy got to the point where he was ready. And Jesus is like, man, I'm hanging on for you. He took care of his mother. He, t- he told um, John that that, uh, that was his mother, and that was his, uh, she, was, she was his mother, and John was her um, son. To be the acceptable sacrifice? Yes. There was a certain amount of suffering that he needed to undergo, but, I mean, I'm talking about, like, while he was on the cross, he was still doing things. He was still doing things. This thief was cursing. This thief was desperate, and Jesus wasn't thinking about himself. He quoted a psalm, didn't he? And he quoted that psalm so that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God knew that this was coming and that Jesus' will was to fulfill the will of the Father. The thing that's amazing about our scriptures is not just the wisdom of it or the beauty of it, it's the fact that it could not have happened these scriptures could not exist without God's intervention. God is telling what's going to happen hundreds and sometimes thousands of years before they happen in detail. And that's what Jesus is saying there. This is a fulfillment of scripture. This is no accident. I haven't come to the cross because of anything that, uh, 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 other than the fact that it's God's will. God made his will plainly known early, and he never fails, man. He never fails. He always comes through. There were things that he needed to do, but you know what? I'm thinking about a couple of instances of what happened um, after Jesus rose from the dead. The first one uh, is a scene at the, at the garden tomb uh, when Mary comes to the garden tomb. You remember that? And the second one was uh, a scene where there's two guys that are walking to Emmaus. Some people think that it was uh, uh, Luke. Um, there's just speculation, but some people that, a couple of guys that really knew Jesus, and they're walking to Emmaus. I don't even know why they're going to Emmaus. I don't even know what's there, but they're, they're just, you know, they're really downcast. They're really brokenhearted. And they're talking to each other about this stuff. And uh, lo and behold, Jesus joins them. Same thing happened to Mary at the tomb. Lo and behold, you know, it's like the worst day of her life, and she's weeping. Guys, if there's ever a day not to be depressed, it's the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But why can't they see him? Neither one of them saw him. Why can't they see him? Because of grief. Because grief blinds us. We can be looking at it bold in the face, and yet our grief has so blinded us and so overcome us that we can't even see it, much less believe it. And in both of those cases, he reveals himself in such a loving, um, funny, you know, beautiful way. All it took for Mary is for him to say her name. Nobody says your name like Jesus says your name. Nobody knows you like Jesus knows you. If you've ever lost a loved one, 
That's one thing that you miss more than anything else. I miss my son saying, hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. And if he said, hey, Dad, right now, I would do just like Mary did. I'd be useless for a while. Or their laugh. If you've ever lost anyone, that's one thing that always sticks in your memory that you really miss is the way that they laugh. My mom, she got, when she would get tickled about something, she'd just giggle, you know? Never heard anybody do it like that before. For Mary, it was Jesus saying her name. How many thousands of times had he said that name to her? How many thousands of times had that come off of his tongue and pronounced it in a way, not just the way that he pronounced it, but the full weight of the love that was behind it every time he said her name? And that's all he had to say was Mary. And she, he's like, you got to let me go. (laughs) You're choking me. And these guys on the road to Emmaus, it was the same thing. If they could have just known what was in store for Jesus, and I think Jesus did know that, like my mom knew that, what was in store for him as he was suffering on the cross just moments away. The greatest joy, beyond anything we can imagine, the greatest joy that awaited him, the honor that awaited him, the reward that awaited him, the joy that was set before him just moments away. And as soon as he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, into your hands I commend my spirit, as soon as he did that joy, glory, the lights came on. While darkness and lightning and thunder and earthquake hit the earth, He was transported into the presence of God. Into the joy that He had known with the Father. This is what He said at the Last Supper. The joy that He had known with the Father from the foundation of the earth. Immediately. From the most abject shame and suffering into the greatest adulation and glory. If they had known, she wouldn't have been standing at the grave weeping. And she wasn't for long. And neither were those guys for long. But Jesus had a lesson to teach him that they would have been so overwhelmed by their enthusiasm that they probably wouldn't have lived. You know what? And so what he did is he took them all the way through all of the Old Testament scriptures and showed them how every one of them, when it talked about the Messiah, clearly said that the Messiah must suffer and die and rise on the third day. He went through the whole Old Testament. That's how I think the early church got their teachings that were tying things to the Old Testament. I don't think anybody could have figured all of this stuff out. Jesus told them. And He was here with them for 40 days after He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead and He was among them, appearing to them, disappearing, coming and going and and all of this. And it says the whole time, what was He doing? He was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Man, wouldn't you have loved to be a part of that? We don't need to. Because we have the writings of the apostles and we have the Holy Spirit that's telling us the same thing. As powerful as his teaching was before the resurrection, can you imagine what that must have been like after the resurrection? I mean, just to be with him would have put enough confidence in you to face, you know, Caesar or, you know, the Sanhedrin. There are things more valuable than physical life. 
me close with this. This is a, this is a special week. We're looking forward to Resurrection Sunday. I know every day is the same as any other day. I'm not, not saying that. But I'm saying it's a season that it is so appropriate and, and in some ways easy to turn your attention to Him in a special way. In a way maybe that you have not lately or maybe in a way that you never have before. But turn your attention away from all of the things on the earth that are so much vying for our, uh, you know, for what little attention we have to give. And turn your attention to Him. And specifically this week, will you just maybe take those steps? You know, um, especially uh, the book of uh, John, I think it is, has like half the book is the last couple of days of Jesus' life. Spend some time in those scriptures, especially that Last Supper, man. When Jesus, his last few earthly hours that he has in his physical body, Jesus of Nazareth, he's just pouring into them, man. And what he's doing is comforting them and pointing them to what's going to happen after he's crucified because he knows that he has a baptism to undergo and he knows that his loved ones are not going to understand while it's going on. But he wanted to give them some hope. And you can draw hope from those words too. We know how this story ends, but the precious stuff that he tells them about how He wants them to be one with the Father like He's one with the Father. And the promise of the Holy Spirit and how essential that is. Our relationship to Jesus Christ is better than, it's not heresy, listen to me, is better than those apostles had with Him. Our relationship, because the Spirit lives within us and the Spirit gives us understanding. They spent most of their time confused. They didn't know what He was talking about. And they were talking about stuff that like, didn't even matter. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God? Jesus said, hey, that's easy, man. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Just become a servant. It's not what they were expecting. These, all these guys spent all this time in his presence and didn't get one ounce of what we have by the spirit that lives within us. Feed him this week. Feed the spirit in your life with the word of God. And then finally, if you've been wrestling with the will of God, just, let's just pause and I'll, I'll let you just for a minute. Just close your eyes and turn your attention to the Lord because he, he wants to have you for a minute here. He wants to have some words with you. If you've been wrestling with the will of God in your life, your will or his will, maybe it's knowing his will. He said, my sheep know my voice, the voice of a stranger they won't follow. He says, seek and you will find Knock and the door will be open. If you don't know what the will of God is for your life, I can tell you right now, the will of God for your life is to know and, and be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. But if you do know the will of God and you're wrestling with it, it doesn't mean you don't have faith and it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're human. And all He wants from you is surrender. You think you know how it's going to go. You don't know how it's going to go. You think you might be thinking of all the things you might lose if you do the will of God or if God has His way in your life, that if you totally surrender to Him, He's going to have you doing some things that are horrible. Listen, man, there's only life on the other side of surrender. There's only life. Jesus told Thomas, no longer be unbelieving but believe. 
We're going to sing a chorus here. If there's something that I've said that's touched your heart or stirred you up or that you want uh, some prayer for, let's stand together. Uh, you come and I'll pray for you. We have elders that can come forward and, and pray for you as well. Let's sing this together. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Trampling over death by death Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead We are one with Him again Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead Trampling over death by death Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead We are one with Him again Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the dead 
Oh God, how I 